before you go to the book of Revelation, and I know that some of you already have turned there, and that's, that's fine. Maybe you can just put something there. It's really easy to find because it's the last book in your Bible. But, but where we are in our study of the book of Revelation is we're dealing with a, a seven-year period that most of the people that are on this planet right now have heard of. It's called the tribulation period, and it goes back to a prophecy that God gave to the prophet Daniel hundreds and hundreds, and at this point thousands of years uh, ago, and we are about to see that un event unfold on this planet in the very near future. Now, we're in Revelation chapter 6, which explains in very graphic detail that seven-year period of tribulation. You're getting it in Revelation chapter 6 from, from John. John is caught up, and God allows him to see, to actually see with his eyes the events that have not yet unfolded on this planet. A very strange thing, and yet God is not locked into time and space, and John was able to actually see the events that are about to take place on this planet. But before we get to Revelation chapter 6, I want you to see Jesus explain all of this to you in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 24. So why don't you turn back there, if you would, the first book of your New Testament, Matthew chapter 24. Now, I, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, and I realize that some of you that are guests with us this morning, that maybe you're not as familiar as others, but... The God that we serve is an incredible God, but He is also, he, He's just, He's real slick in the way that He put this book together. I mean, only God, only God could do it. And, and what's even wilder is the God of the Bible is a God that has a sense of humor. In Matthew chapter 24, He knows what's in the heart of His disciples. He knows the questions that they're about to ask Him. He knows they're about to ask Him about the events that will unfold at the time of His second coming. See, the tribulation period ends with His second coming. And knowing they're about to ask these questions, what He does is He positions Himself and He moves to a place that is called the Mount of Olives. We go, wow, isn't that just real nice? But you know what is so incredible about that? In Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4, what it tells you is that when Jesus Christ comes back to this planet at His second coming, you know where it is that He is first going to step foot on this planet? On the Mount of Olives. And I want you, I want you to check this out. We're going to go to this passage. They're going to ask Him about, okay, now, tell us about your coming. And He is sitting in the very place. I mean, the exact location where his foot is going to step foot on this planet. And that's where we find ourselves in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 24. It says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And what Jesus begins to do with his disciples now, he begins to give them the signs that will lead up to the, tribu or the, the, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And what he is doing here is he is walking us through the events of the tribulation period. He is walking us through those events. He's giving us the signs. And I want you to look at the first sign that he gives us and follow along in your Bible and on your study sheet there on the left side. The first sign we find in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 5. It says, For many shall come 
in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. The first sign is the sign of false Christ. False Christ. Then look down in verse 6. He says, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. That's the second sign. Wars. The third sign is found in verse 7. Still talking about the wars here. Nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines. That's the third sign. Famine. And then he gives us the next sign, the fourth sign in the same verse. He says, and pestilences. Pestilences. And then the fifth sign, down in verse 8 and 9, he says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And that's martyrdom. The next sign, the fifth sign, is martyrdom. And then look at the sixth sign. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And in your blank there, on the sixth sign, put the sun the moon, and the stars. There will be physical changes that will be taking place with the sun and the moon and the stars. And then look, look at the, the very next verse in verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then will be the second coming. And he walks us through these six signs and at the culmination after that sixth sign, bam! He comes back to this planet. Okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to go over to Revelation chapter 6. This is what we've been studying now for the last several weeks. Revelation chapter 6. And now what is taking place here? And man, I'm telling you, if you'll just let the Bible unfold itself for you, this is an unbelievable thing that you're going to see that God does here. Jesus, at the Olivet Discourse, sitting on the very place where He will return, He brings them through the six signs that will precede his second coming to this planet. Now John is opening a seven-sealed book. He brings us through these six seals in Revelation chapter 6. And notice the first seal is the revelation of the false Christ in verses 1 and 2. It's the revelation of the false Christ he opens the second seal in verses 3 and 4. And you know what it reveals to us? War. He opens the third seal. And it reveals to us in verses 5 and 6, famine. Famine. And then the fourth seal in verses 7 and 8, and we saw this as we studied it together, it's, it's pestilence. Pestilence. And then we saw last time in verses 9 through 11 as he opens the fifth seal, it was martyrdom. Martyrdom. And now today we come to the sixth seal. And, and check it out. Just, just look there in verses 12 and 13. Do you see it? Physical changes with the sun, the moon, and the stars. You know what? Jesus explained this event. And he uses the same exact things that John uses when he explains this event. 
Isn't it funny how the Bible just coincidentally works together like that? Isn't it neat how men hundreds and hundreds of years ago had such crafty minds that they could say, well, okay, let's put Jesus on a mount here and let's make him say all these things and well, let's have the weirded out thing where John gets caught up and he... Come on. What God is doing is He is showing you hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago exactly what is getting ready to take place on this, this earth. And I want to make sure that you, you understand what is really going on here in Revelation chapter 6. This is the note on your, your study sheet after that little chart there. Now make sure that you understand this. The opening of the six seals in Revelation chapter 6 marks the first of four times the book of Revelation brings us through the tribulation period. Now, are you understanding what, I'm, what I just said there? Once this sixth seal is open, we've been all the way through the tribulation period for the first time. I mean, from beginning to end. Now, now you need to understand something. Most people that are the Bible scholars, the, the commentators, and all of that, I want you to know, almost 99% of them do not believe that. What they do is they, they believe that what you've got in Revelation chapter 6 through 18 is a chronology of events that bring you through the tribulation. Now, nobody doubts whether Revelation chapter 6 through 18 is dealing with the tribulation period. Where the question comes in is, is how are these events unfolding? And what people do, these commentators, and I've read them, I mean, I've tried to get in their heads and, and, and see what they're, they're seeing. What they try to do is they try to say that, well, he brings you through the seals. And by the time you get to the end of Revelation chapter 6, that you're about to, you know, 21 months into the tribulation period, and then they start working the seven trumpets, and that kind of picks up after the 21 months, and it brings you this far. And then he goes into the vials, and and that brings you this much, and by the time you get to Revelation 19.11, you know, it's all over. But I'll just tell you what, folks, you've got to do a whole lot of juggling. You've got to do a whole lot of theatrics to try to get that to fit. What we're going to see here today as we compare Scripture with Scripture is that the events that take place when he opens this sixth seal, those are the very events that are going to be taking place when Jesus Christ comes back to this planet at His second coming. In fact, this sixth seal is the second coming of Jesus Christ to this planet. Now you see what, what, what the commentators have to do. And I'm going into all of this because you're going to be explaining the book of Revelation someday and someone's going to say, oh, where in the world did you get that, man? This is not... You know, it, it unfolds all the way to chapter 19. You see? And what you've got to do if you're going to take that interpretation... What you've got to do is you've got to come to this passage that we're going to see this morning with all of this stuff that's taking place in the heavens and in the earth, and you've got to take it symbolically. Now, we haven't taken anything symbolically yet in Revelation chapter 6. We're going to get into chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Nobody's going to take anything symbolically there. But you see, if this isn't the second coming of Christ, well, you've got to make the sun and the moon and the stars the governments. And I mean, it's wild. It's nuts. What we're going to see this morning is that we have come to the second coming of Christ. And you see, the, the reason that, that most of the people on this planet today have a hard time with, with seeing that God has already brought you through the tribulation period is that if He brings you through it here, then that means that He's actually going to bring you through the tribulation period 
four times in the book of Revelation. So why in the world would God bring you four times through the tribulation period? Well, now remember, what we've already said this morning is that the, the tribulation period culminates with what event? Talk to me. The second coming of Christ. Right? Okay. Now, He brings you four times through the second coming of Christ because He's already brought you four times through the first coming of Christ. Right? But we have four books in our Bible. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you know what? There's not a Bible scholar on this planet that has any problem with the fact that what those are four accounts of the same event, just seen it from a different perspective. Nobody says, well, there's a timeline here, and what the, you know, Matthew brings you to a certain point. Now, all this with him dying on the cross and saying, the, giving the Great Commission there in Matthew 28, well, all that's symbolic. Really, you go with Matthew, and then you pick up where, you know, in Mark, and it takes you a little further. Nobody goes through those theatrics there. Nobody has a problem with four accounts of the same event from four different perspectives. And you see, God's very consistent with this book. He gave you four accounts from four different perspectives of His first coming. And what He does in the book of Revelation, He gives you four accounts from four different perspectives of His second coming. All right, now let, let's go this morning. Now that you understand that, okay, and we're, what we're getting ready to do here is we're going to find a parenthesis in chapter 7, when we get into chapters 8, 9, and 10, we're going to go through the tribulation period again. By the time we get to chapter 19, we'll go through it four times. But this morning, we're going to look at the opening of this, this sixth seal. Let's pick up Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12. He says, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. Every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Now, we've just, just read the events there, and I know that nobody is you know, too awful freaked out right now, but I want you to know as we're getting into this this morning, that I do not have the ability to communicate to you just how terrible the opening of this sixth seal is going to be on this planet. I, I'm just telling you, I, I, I don't have the words to tell you. Look back in verse 16. I, I don't have the words to explain to you the absolute terror that are going to, that's going to grip men's souls at the opening of this sixth seal. And as, as I do my best today to get out of the way and let the Spirit of God use me today to communicate it to you, I'm just telling you, I can't pound my fist hard enough on the pulpit. I won't be able to scream loud enough. I won't be able to pound my foot hard enough 
to get you to understand just how devastating this passage in its reality is actually going to be when this takes place on this planet. And I'm telling you, if you miss the message of this passage, there will come a day. Now, you may not like this service today. In fact, I'm quite assured going into it that some of you will not like the service today. But there will come a day when you'll wish I would have pounded my fist just a little bit harder and I would have stopped my foot just a little bit longer and that I would have lifted my voice just a little bit louder so that you could have understood just how terrible it will be to fall into the hands of a God who is seeking vengeance, as Second Thessalonians chapter 1 talks about, on all them that know not God. And I'll tell you, what makes this, I mean, this is freaky stuff here. But what makes it even freakier is the, the, the fact that the things that verses 12 through 17 are, are describing are things that are going to be taking place on this planet as soon as seven years from today. I mean, we're not talking about some, you know, far off distant thing, centuries and centuries or millenniums or millenniums away. Listen, there's no doubt, biblically, there's no doubt about the fact that the people who are living on this planet right now at this very moment who have never entered into a personal relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, they are the very people the people living on this planet right now are the very people that verses 15 and 16 are describing. Folks, verses 15 and 16 are, are describing what some of our relatives and family members are going to be doing. It's describing some of our friends and co-workers and, and neighbors and what's even crazier. I'm telling you, my mind cannot even compute this is the fact that there are people that are in this room this morning. Verses 15 and 16 is a, a description, not just of a people. It is a description of some of the people in this room this morning. Some of the people in this room will actually be the people that fulfill this prophecy right here in the opening of the sixth seal. And you need to understand something, especially if you're a guest with us. Now, we've hammered this for years now, the fact that we're living in the last days. And the Bible says that one of the things that's characteristic of the last days is that men will not endure sound doctrine. In other words, they don't want to hear it. What it says they will do in the last days is they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. You know, you know what that means? They want people to tell them what they want to hear, not what God says. We're living at a time that is described in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, as the Laodicean church period. It is that period of time. It is the church in the last days. It is a description of the, the, the church in the very period of time that we're living in. And Jesus goes through that letter and He describes the condition of people who are so-called believers on this planet and it's the same exact description that Paul gave. People want it to be a cush. They want to kick back. 
They're not serious about the things of the Lord. He says they're lukewarm and we don't want to get anybody upset and we don't want to, we don't want to preach it too hard because people don't respond to that, you see, in, in Laodicea. Listen, the God that we're going to be talking about this morning is not the God that Laodiceans talk about. But regardless of that fact, it is the God that the Bible talks about. And you see, we better lock into that. You see, the God that we're going to be talking about is not the God that is preached in Laodicea. Because you see, in Laodicea, the God that we preach is a, you know, a, he's a heavenly, you know, grandfatherly type who's sitting in his armchair away up in, in, in heaven somewhere, just overlooking all of the wickedness of, of men. But I'm telling you, that's not the God that the Bible talks about. And even though this isn't the God that Laodiceans want, this is the God that Laodiceans are going to get. The people alive on this planet are the people that we're talking about. All right, now, now let's get into the opening of this, this sixth seal. Now, one of the things that we kept emphasizing as we were making our way through the first five seals is that all of these, these judgments and destructions that we, we've seen as these first five seals have been opened, all of these things that we've seen are simply the natural outgrowth of man's sin. Remember how we've, we talked about that? It is, it is sin unbridled. It's sin unleashed and unrestrained. It's man reaping the, the full harvest of his sin. But the opening of this sixth seal is something different. Listen, it is not the natural outgrowth of man's sin. What it is, is the supernatural outpouring of God's wrath. Things have changed here. At the end of verse 16, in the beginning of verse 17, it tells us it is the great day of the Lamb's wrath. Just picture that in your mind. Frank's talked about that on Sunday nights. The Lamb's wrath. And as His wrath is out for it, I want you to notice that first of all, I want you to notice the response of heaven and earth. The response of heaven and earth. Here it is. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb, He opens this sixth seal, and as He does, His wrath is poured out. And the first thing that happens is there is a tremendous earthquake on this planet. John says in verse 12, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. Now I'll tell you, we can walk back through history and we can see the fact that there have been some great earthquakes that have hit this planet. There was the earthquake in Shanxi, China in 1556 where 830,000 people died. There was an earthquake in Calcutta in 1737 with a death toll of 300,000. There was an earthquake in 1920 in China and again in 1927 in China with a combined death toll of 400,000. In 1923 in Japan, 143,000 dead. In 1935 in Pakistan, 60,000 dead. 
1939 in Turkey, 30,000 dead. In 1970 in Peru, 66,000 dead. In 1976 in Guatemala, 23,000 dead. In Turkey in 1988, 25,000 dead. In 1990 in western Iran, 40,000 dead. There have been some great earthquakes. On December 16, 1811, the largest earthquake that ever hit the continental United States struck in New Madrid, Missouri, along the New Madrid fault line. And folks, the shocks were so great in that thing that it caused the Mississippi River to run backwards for three days. It rang church bells as far away as Boston, Massachusetts, and Washington, D.C. It was felt in the southern states. It was felt all the way up in Canada. They say that if the same earthquake were to hit along that New Madrid fault line today, it would literally wipe out the city of Memphis and half of the city of St. Louis. Yeah, there have been some, some great earthquakes in the past. But let me tell you something. They hold not a candle to the earthquake that he's talking about here in Revelation chapter 6. This earthquake that takes place with the opening of this sixth seal is the granddaddy of them all. In fact, this is the same earthquake that he talks about over in Revelation chapter 16. Now understand, he brings you four times through the tribulation period. Okay? One of the figures that he brings us through is the figure of seals. We're seeing that in Revelation chapter 6. When we get to chapter 16, he's bringing us through the same events, just a different perspective under the figure of vials. And I want you to go over there, Revelation chapter 16, and I want you to see the description of this earthquake that we're talking about here in Revelation chapter 6. But now in Revelation chapter 16, and let's pick up in verse 17. It says, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth so mighty an earthquake and so great. We're talking quite the quake here. I mean, it gives a whole new definition to something rocking your world. And John says back in chapter 6 that it was of such great magnitude and had so many catastrophic effects upon the earth and the earth's atmosphere that it actually changed the appearance of the sun and the moon. This is the next response. He says in verse 12, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And sackcloth is a type of coarse material that was was made of the hair of animals and was dyed black, as black as soot or as black as sackcloth. People say, well, you know what? He must be talking figuratively here. I mean, how in the world could, could the sun be black in the middle of the day? But do you remember what happened in the midst of the ten plagues that came upon Egypt back in the book of Exodus? The Bible says in Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 and 22, listen, for a period of three days in Egypt, there was darkness in all the land of Egypt, a darkness that the passage says 
was so dark that you could literally feel the darkness. They felt it. And you remember what happened in Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, from 12 noon until 3 o'clock the afternoon that Jesus Christ was crucified? You remember what happened? The sun was blackened out. In more recent history, and even in our own country, on May 19, 1780, it was a day that has gone down in history as Dark Day. It wasn't an eclipse, and yet it was so dark that you could, in the middle of the day, you could see the stars. It was so dark that the chickens actually went to roost. And nobody to this day has ever been able to explain what actually took place on May 19, 1780. But as a result of this great earthquake that he's talking about in Revelation chapter 6, even the sun will be blackened. But not only will the appearance of the sun change, verse 12 also says, and the moon became as blood. That's the third response. The moon became as blood. In other words, it was blood red. You say, well, what's up with that? Well, historically, major earthquakes are often connected with volcanic eruptions. On August 26, 1883, there was an, a major earthquake on the island of Krakatau. Uh, Westerners normally call it Krakatoa. But on the island of, of Krakatau, there was a a, a, a major earthquake that took place that, that, that caused a, uh, a volcanic eruption. Now, now a Krakatau, it, it's over by Australia, if you go to look it up on, on a map. The sound of this volcano was heard all the way in Rodriguez, South America, 3,000 miles away. You, you know what that's like? That's like today, there being a, a volcano that erupts in Honolulu, Hawaii, and us sitting here in this service, and us hearing it in New Philadelphia, Ohio. The eruption was so great that it took two-thirds of the island straight up into the air. Twelve square miles of earth literally blew off of the face of this planet up into the earth's atmosphere. Just an incredible thing. You know what? I mean, it's, it's like us sitting here and us having an earthquake that causes an eruption that literally takes off the face of the earth from New Philadelphia to Sugar Creek up to Bolivar and that, that whole big massive area just blew off of the face of the earth and listen, for hundreds and hundreds of miles over a several day period, the sun was blackened out. And the moon became blood red, just exactly like it's talking about here. And again, this is obviously the same exact thing that took place there is what John saw taking place on this earth at the end of the tribulation period with the sun becoming black, the moon becoming as blood. The only difference is it wasn't over a several hundred mile radius. We're talking over the entire earth. And next he says in verse 13, And the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Some of you have probably taken trips out west and 
If you ever have, you've probably been out in the desert near Winslow, Arizona, where several thousand years ago, a meteorite slammed into the earth, leaving a hole that was is nearly a mile wide and 600 feet deep, and it threw up around the surface of that hole a rim of rocks and soil that the average height is 135 feet. I mean, can you imagine the force of something coming into this planet and causing that kind of damage? A mile wide and 600 feet deep. And if you think that's something, can you even, will your mind even allow you to imagine the devastation when meteorites by the hundreds and the thousands and perhaps even tens of thousands are just bombarding this planet from every conceivable direction is God is just, He is shaking the universe and shaking the, the meteorites right out of the heavens toward this earth. It's like a, a, a hurricane shaking off fruit that's not yet ripe. That's the illustration that He gives here. God just grabs a hold of the universe and He begins to shake it and the stars are coming toward the earth. I mean, it's like you're being in a video game, man. But you're living it. And I'll tell you what, the things we're talking about in, in, in these verses here, this is not just, well, you know, this is the book of Revelation. They do talk about some weirded out things, but, you know, this is kind of an obscure text here. Listen, we're not talking about an obscure text here. The things that we're talking about here are repeated over and over and over and over throughout the Bible. And, and, and please understand that God does not repeat Himself because He's so elderly that He, bless His heart, He forgot what He just said. He doesn't repeat Himself because He, well, just wanted to take up a little bit of space in, in this big old book. Listen, the Bible repeats something because God is, is emphasizing it. He's wanting to make sure that we don't miss it. You know what it is? It's God's way of shouting. It's God's way of clapping His hands and saying, hey, 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 don't miss this! This is His Word. And the way that He gets His message to you is He keeps pounding that thing. He keeps repeating it. Let's quickly do this. I want you to see what God has to say. I want God to make His own point here. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And look at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from the heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And turn over, if you would, to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. And verse 24, he says, But in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in clouds, and with great power and glory. And turn over to Luke chapter 21. 
Luke chapter 21. And look at verse 11. And great earthquakes shall be in divers places and famines and pestilences and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. Drop down to verse 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the east. The earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them with fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Turn back to the Old Testament book, not too very far away from where you are, to the left, the minor prophet book of, of Joel, Joel chapter 2. You can find Daniel. It's just over to the right. Hosea and then then Joel. Joel chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord cometh. For it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and of gloominess a day of clouds and of thick darkness as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. There hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. And drop down to verse 10. The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And drop down to verse 30. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, Blood and fire and pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And now back to the book of Isaiah. Just to your left again. The book of Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah chapter 13, let's pick up in verse 6. How ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and He shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in all his, in all, in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. And oh, folks, there are people that scoff at everything that we're talking about. Do you understand that this morning while I'm preaching this, there have been people in this room that have laughed and giggled all morning long? Go figure. You don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand. 
And there are people all over this planet so full of pride and arrogancy and they laugh in the face of God when He talks about judgment coming to this planet. And what He says here is there is coming a day I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Everybody that thinks they're all that bad, I'll lay them low, God says. I'll make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of His fierce anger. And ladies and gentlemen, just as surely as the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled all 360 prophecies that the Old Testament laid out concerning His first coming, I promise you, I guarantee you, He is going to fulfill every single prophecy of this Bible when it comes to His second coming. When He came the first time, He fulfilled every one of those 360 prophecies literally, exactly, and precisely, exactly the way that the Bible says. And I'm telling you, you can bank on it. When He comes back the second time, it's going to be just exactly like what we just read. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And look at verse 28. Hebrews 10.28 He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. It happened just the way that old Moses said it was going to happen. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. There's people all over this planet. You've heard the message, oh yeah, Jesus died, and yeah, big deal, I don't know how that affects my life, I really don't give a rip about that anyway. For we know, verse 30, for we know Him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto Me. Check out the words of God here. I will recompense. Saith the Lord. You have any doubt about that? I will recompense, saith the Lord. Now, now listen. When he says that, understand, he's never missed on one of his prophecies yet. And he says, I will recompense. And again, the Lord shall judge His people. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And now turn back to Revelation chapter 6. There's two more responses to the fierce anger and wrath of the Lamb in the heavens and the earth that John saw. Next, verse 14 says, And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. And you know what's interesting about that is if you've ever done any reading about nuclear explosions, what you'll find is that John really couldn't have given a better description of what actually takes place. Because in a nuclear explosion, what happens is the, the atmosphere, 
the air that we can't see, the atmosphere actually rolls back on itself just like a, a scroll that had been rolled together. You know how they used to do, you've seen them, you know, like there's these rods and they would, they would take this paper, it would be 15 or 16 feet long, they would roll it from the ends on, on that wood and come together and they would hold it like this. And the, the illustration that John is, is, is giving here, he says, it's just like if you took that scroll and you began to unfold that, that thing and then someone came and they cut it right up the middle, you know what would happen? That thing would roll right back on itself. You, you can see that? You see, that's exactly what happens in the atmosphere during a nuclear explosion. And you see, as that thing unfolds like that, it creates an incredible vacuum. And one of the things that causes so much destruction during a nuclear explosion is the air, the, the, that rush of air coming back into that vacuum. And John is describing something here that is, that is much like that. But now, well, listen, I, I know the commentators, you know, they like to say, yes, John is trying to describe here a, a nuclear explosion. No, he's not. He's describing something that's like that. But listen, what he's describing here makes Hiroshima look like it was a stick of dynamite. He's, he's explaining something here that our minds can't even begin to, to, to comprehend. In fact, it has so much force. Look at the next thing that John says in verse 14. It says, And every mountain and island were moved out of their place. And if you're wondering what it means there when it says every mountain and island were moved out of their place, what that means is every mountain and island were moved out of their place. Well, you know, I just don't understand the book of Revelation. It's not a hard book to understand. Remember, this is where we started with this thing. It's not a hard book to understand. It's just sometimes it's it's hard. It's a hard book to believe. And you know why it's a hard book to believe? Because we don't want to believe it. We want it to be symbolic. We want it to mean something else. But you know what it means? It means exactly what it says. I mean, it's it's incredible. And now, now get the get the rundown of this thing, okay? Sometimes we can, you know, get this so chopped up that we don't we don't catch the full ramification of it. Now, now grab this: when sin has absolutely run its course through the opening of those first five seals, what is going to happen then is the Lamb of God is going to step up to pour out His vengeance and His wrath at the opening of this sixth seal. And like we talked about. He'll grab a hold of this, the universe that he holds in his hands this morning. He'll grab a hold of this universe and he'll begin to shake it. And the earth is going to go into convulsions that are caused such an earthquake that it will be of such magnitude that the earth will actually erupt, sending volcanic ash into the entire earth's atmosphere, causing the sun to be blackened out and the moon to become an eerie blood red. And while the earth is erupting from within, Meteorites will just be pulverizing it from without. Nuclear type explosions are going to be taking place from above, causing such jolting on the earth that the mountains and the islands all over this earth are going to be rolling across the earth's surface and across the sea like, like pool balls when they're broken on the break. It's just going haywire all over. And I'm telling you, it's hard to imagine 
anything. I mean, living through that, I mean, it would be the absolute most freaky thing in all the world. And that's the next thing that John saw. The response of the men of the earth. The response of the men of the earth. Verse 15 says, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Oh, folks, listen, let me tell you. I'm going to hang on the rim on that point. Y'all are going on. Listen, when, when the great day of the Lamb's wrath is come, it doesn't matter what class of people you belong to. Because you see, listen, the wrath of God is the great equalizer. Nobody is big stuff when the sixth seal is open. And it doesn't matter if you're, look at it, it doesn't matter if you're a king of the earth. It doesn't matter on that day if you hold the highest government office in your country. It doesn't matter if your name is Bill Clinton, King Hussein, Saddam Hussein, and you can just go through the list. It does not matter on that day what government office you hold because you're going to be running for cover just like everybody else. And on that day, it won't matter that you're held up in this world as, as a Great man. And we love to do that, don't we? I'm not dogging these men, but I'm just telling you. On that day, folks, though the whole world runs around catering to, to great men, it doesn't matter on that day if your name is Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal, Ken Griffey Jr., or anybody you want to list, the wrath of God will be poured out on your life just like it is everybody else. When the great day of the Lamb's wrath is come, there will be none great. No, not one. And on that day, your money won't do you any good either. Even if you've got all the wealth of Bill Gates, $40 billion, Lee Iacocca, Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> I mean, just go through the list. You know what? On that day, your money, it's useless. It's worthless. I mean, what, what are you going to do on that day when the wrath of the Lamb of God is... You're going to try to buy Him off with your stinking, lousy gold and silver when He's the one that created it in the first place? Listen! Your money may be real impressive to everybody around you. You may impress yourself. God's not impressed. You can be a rough, tough, military man. Chief captain. And you can have all the military genius in the world. You can have all the military backing in the world. You can have thousands and thousands of soldiers under you, but I guarantee you on that day, you won't have a battle plan. You won't be strategizing. The only thing that you'll be thinking about is how in the world can I get myself out of sight? And boy, you can be held up in this, this world as a, as a big, bad, mighty man. And everybody on this planet may think that you are some major stud. 
with unbelievable strength and ability and courage, but I promise you, whoever you are, you're no match for earthquakes and volcanoes and meteorites coming out of the, the atmosphere. The Bible says in the book of Zechariah that all of the mighty men of the earth will be wailing in the streets like a woman in hard labor. All the tough guys. All the guys are too big and bad to bow their knee to Jesus Christ. Be crouched in the corner like a scared little kid. Screaming. Like women scream over in Union Hospital when they're going through hard labor. The tough guys. And on that day, it won't matter if you're a free man or a bond man. It won't matter if you're an owner or a slave. It won't matter if you're an employer or an employee. It won't matter if you're in free America or you're an Ethiopian or an Iraqian. And would you look at the list there? He gives you seven. And you know what he does? He just covers the whole gamut of humanity there. Every class of people and every classification of people is represented in that list of seven there. And check this out. From the highest king to the lowest slave, it doesn't make any difference in that day. You know what? On that day, no matter who you are, every single person on this planet is going to be doing the same exact thing. You know what they're going to be doing? They're going to be doing what sinners have just naturally done ever since the first man and the first woman sinned in the garden. You know what every man and woman on this planet will be doing on that day? They'll be hiding themselves. John says at the end of verse 15, they hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Now, now listen, I want, I, want you, I want to ask you something here. Okay, with, with all of this, this incredible stuff that we, we've been talking about this morning that are going to be going on in the heavens and the earth in Revelation chapter 6. What is it? What is it that you think that they'll be hiding from? From the Antichrist? Man, I would. From, from the devil himself? I would. From the meteorites that are just crashing to this earth? Man, I, I would. Are they going to be hiding from the, the falling mountains and, and, and rocks from the earthquakes? I mean, surely that's what they're going to be hiding from, right? Nope. Verse 16 says, they're hiding from something that's a whole lot more freaky than that. You know what they're hiding from? The face of Him that sitteth on the throne. Wow. And check this out. Now listen. They're praying to the mountains and rocks to deliver them from the land. Rather, than praying to the Lamb to deliver them from the mountains and rocks. I mean, go figure. And, and now listen. 
for some of you that are here this morning who have never had the Lamb of God that John looked at and saw when he first came to this planet. John looked at him and he said, John the Baptist, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. You know, and this morning, I want you to understand, the Lamb of God can take away your sin so that you have nothing to fear. But, if you enter this day and you've never had the Lamb of God wash your sins away in His own blood. Now listen, would you listen real carefully? There's a real important thing that you can learn from Revelation chapter 6 this morning. Meteorites crashing to this earth and earthquakes that are literally rearranging the surface of the earth and nuclear explosions that you can't even imagine. All of that stuff is really freaky. But now listen, what, what these people in the tribulation period teach us, and remember, this is not a dream that John had. He actually saw this. And what these people in the tribulation period teach us is that sinners would most gladly choose any one of those forms of death that we're, we're talking about here rather than be in the presence of the Holy Lamb of God when He is revealed in all of His power and glory. I mean, you want to talk about something freaky, y'all. The face of Him that sitteth on the throne in His power and glory is the most freaky thing that you can imagine more than earthquakes, volcanoes, and meteorites. They don't hold a candle to the face of Him that sitteth on the throne. And you know what? You may have a hard time comprehending that today because most of you, all you've ever seen of Jesus is some you know picture of a long-haired, effeminate Jesus who's all mellow yellow and all you've ever heard Christians talk about is how loving and kind He is. And you know what? All that lovey-dovey stuff, just it's just never really had an appeal to you, has it? But you need to know something. The reason that the, the love of God hasn't seemed too appealing to you is because you've never had a glimpse of the wrath of God. And, and listen to me. When you understand the wrath of Almighty God, all of a sudden, His love just gets real appealing. And God's given you the chance. Do, do you understand this morning? God's given you the chance to see it today. His wrath. He's given you the chance to see it today through the pages of His book while you can still do something about it now before you see it in just a few years in technicolor and won't be able to do anything about it other than fulfill the prophecy and hide yourself wherever you possibly can. You see, it comes down to you 
You can call upon him now and confess that you're a sinner in desperate need of his forgiveness and receive Christ as your only hope, as your only Lord, as your only Savior. Or you can be one of those in the tribulation period who in verse 16 say to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And you know what? Listen, if, if death if it would extract you from the awful fate of His wrath, I mean, if death could just, on that day, if it could obliterate you, if it could just somehow, if it could cease your existence, it would most definitely be the best option. But the fact is, all that death is going to do, though those rocks and mountains did fall on you and crush out your very life, all it's going to do is just move you from the immediate judgment of God into the eternal Judgment of God. I mean, there's no escape. And you'll need to watch out for something this morning. If, if, if you're here and you've never received Jesus Christ, you, you need to watch out for something. Watch out. Remember, we were just talking a second ago about the natural reaction of sinners is to hide. It happened in the book of Genesis in the garden. It happens here in the tribulation period. And you need to watch out because it's going to happen in this room here this morning. And some of you are thinking right now, you know what, if that, if that dude ever shuts up, I'm never coming back here. Because I don't go to church to hear about judgment and wrath and vengeance and hell. If, he, if he'll ever shut up, I'm going to walk out those doors and I ain't ever going to come back. You can make that your choice. It ain't going to change nothing, though. It's all going to happen just exactly the, the way that it says. But you see, that's the natural reaction. you got to understand that God's giving you the opportunity to experience this morning something that is supernatural. He, he wants you to experience a supernatural birth that allows you the privilege of being able to cast yourself upon the holy, loving Lamb of God that is waiting this morning with open arms to embrace you and to love you. That can happen for you today. That's the way the Lamb of God is today. But that ain't the way that He's going to be during the tribulation period here in just the next few years. Let me ask you something. When you go to the doc, the doc says, you know what? I saw a little spot there on the x-ray that I'm just a little bit concerned about it. So they run the test on you and everything, and the doc says to you, um, you know what? You do have cancer. We've caught it in an early enough stage to where no problem. It's going to be a somewhat of a major surgery, but we, we can get it. We can get it all, and we can rectify the problem. You're going to walk out of there and say, I can't stand that doctor. You know what? I'm sick of going to the doctor and getting a bad report. You know what? This guy ought to mind his own stinking business. Or are you going to say, oh, wow, thanks, doc. I'm glad that you told me in time so I could do something about it. 
Now, you know what? I, I mean, I, I love you. The reason I'm preaching with, with such passion, I ain't mad at you. I just want you to get a glimpse of a Jesus that everybody on this planet that doesn't know him is going to get a glimpse of for just a second before they run into hiding. And if you go out of here today and you ticked off at me and you say, you know what, I ain't going back here because I don't want a bad report when I go to church. That's fine. But do you understand? You can walk out of that doctor's office and not do business with that thing and it'll eat you up and it'll kill you. And some of you are going to walk out of here today ticked off and upset and I want you to just shake yourself for a second and ask yourself, what are you doing upset about somebody just telling you the truth? Jesus had to say, am I becoming your enemy because I tell you the truth? It's all going to happen. And I'm telling you, you can cast yourself today on the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And today you can receive His love. You can receive His mercy. You can receive His forgiveness. Or you can hide yourself now and you can reject Him now. And then hide yourself when you fulfill the prophecy. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 16. But you got to understand, when you reject Christ, when you make that your choice, would you look at verse 16 again? Would you understand? Those will literally be your words. Those will be the, the words that come out of your mouth. That will be your faith. And, and God takes this, this, this whole passage and he brings it down to the bottom line by asking a very sobering question. And it's in verse 17. When the great day of his wrath is come, who? Who? Who shall be able to stand? And you know what the answer to the question is, y'all? Nobody. Nobody. You can, you can just go, let your eyes go right back up to verse 15 and just work yourself right down through the list. Nobody. When the great day of God's wrath is come to this earth, your only hope is not to be here at that time. And you've got to understand now, in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, what we see there is the rapture of believers. It is the time when God bodily removes off of the face of this planet every person who knows Him. They're gone and they're up in heaven while all of this stuff is taking place on the earth. And the only people, the only people who will be able to stand in that day are the people who aren't here. If I could, I, I, I believe for you this morning. But I can't. It's up to you. Some of you right now, you know, I mean, because the Spirit of God this morning has just been taking this and He's been showing you you need to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And, and right now, while we're closing down here, some of you need to be making a major decision about what are you going to do today because the Bible says today if you'll hear His voice, harden not your heart. Now listen, if He's speaking to you, 
you come when He calls. The Bible says no man comes to God but that the Father draw him. And if He's speaking, He's drawing. If He's drawing, respond. Because when He ain't drawing, you ain't coming. So if He's speaking, respond to Him today. But I, I want to talk to First Baptist members for just a sec. Some of you go back to a place in time, in a place on this planet where you said the words of a prayer to God. I, I did that when I was almost 16 years of age. And when somebody asked me to, to give my testimony, I, I take them back to that event when I sat in a church service much like this one. Heard a man preach. By the time that guy got done, I mean, I, my insides were literally shaken. Some of you know what that's all about because that's what's happening with you right now. But my testimony, I go back to a place in time where I, I, I understood and I called upon the name of the Lord to save me and it saved me. But the evidence of my salvation is not that place in time and not the words of my mouth. It's the life. The Bible says, Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. And what just freaks me out, I'm telling you, what freaks me out as one of the pastors of this church is we've got people that are in this room they go back to a place in time where you said the words of a prayer, but you never or seldom are obedient to the commands of Scripture. And yet, because you can go back to that place in time, you've convinced yourself you're okay when there is no visible fruit in your life, there's no visible evidence in your life. And now listen. I'm not trying to cause you to doubt your salvation. I just don't want you to convince yourself that you got something you ain't got. And end up asking rocks and mountains to fall on you to hide you from the wrath of Almighty God. Second Corinthians 13.5 says, let a man examine himself whether he be in the faith. Let's pray together. And Lord, I do pray for people in this room this morning who have never received Jesus Christ. There are some who have never gone through any, any type of semblance even of crying out to You for mercy and, and for forgiveness. And, and I pray today that the Spirit of God will, will work in their hearts. And I, I pray today, Lord, that, that You would draw them and that they would respond to, to Your call this morning and receive Jesus Christ as, as their personal Savior. And I, I pray that You'd be with people in this room that they're busy trying to convince themselves that they're saved, but have never genuinely trusted in You, submitted themselves to You 
as the holy God and Lord that you are. So Lord, I do pray that you would speak to hearts this morning. And with our heads still bowed and eyes closed for just a second, let me just talk to you. Today, if God speaking to your heart and you'd like to be saved, there's nothing more important than you responding to a voice. And before you leave here today, I want to just ask you, if God's speaking to you, would you come up to the front of, of the worship center, up on either side, the far right and the far left, our pastors will be there waiting to talk to you, to answer whatever questions you may have about what all of this means. Some of you know you need to be saved and you need to just come after the service and you need to say, I, I, I need to talk to someone. I need to receive Jesus Christ as, as my Savior. Will you come today? Oh, please don't hide. Cast yourself on the Lord in His mercy. Oh God, save the lost. We ask in Jesus.